Well, you got a pretty fair set of pipes, kid. What do you say to 75 a week? She fainted. Yeah. Give me 75 bucks a week and I'll drop dead. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Doe. And this week we are still doing the 1936 awards with san francisco i don't know how you forgot it because this movie sings a song that's the title of the movie more times than the broadway melody you know i didn't forget it that pause was for how do i describe what this movie is that's fair because wikipedia describes it as a musical drama disaster film (laughs) (laughs) and i take issue with this being called a musical it is a movie with music but it is not a musical Well, I mean, I get what they're saying, just because so much of the runtime is devoted to musical numbers. But they're like, in-universe, they are musical numbers. It's not like they're, you know, like, she's on a stage singing. It's not a musical like uh, the Broadway melody of 1936, where, like, sometimes people just break out into song. (laughs) Yeah, I think the thing that makes it Weird, because I do think, like, arguably you could say the same thing about 42nd Street. The physics of the supposed performance in the last act of that film get pretty wild. But, like, supposedly it's all in-universe. And I think the thing that makes it so weird is that there is just absolutely no emotional component to any of the musical numbers at any point in this film. That is a really good point that I, like, had not, that thought had not coalesced in my mind. But you're right, like, none of the musical numbers are, like, she's on stage singing a sad song, but also, like, in real life, she's sad. Well, real life, movie real life. They have, like, no connection to the plot. It's just that one of the main characters is a performer and the other main character like owns a nightclub the only real exception to that is the very last time she sings san francisco but at that point you're so goddamn sick of that song (laughs) yeah yeah i the plot of this movie david like what is the plot of this movie God, I mean, I guess the through line is the very first thing that happens before you even see any of the characters is this so overwrought title card narration about the city of San Francisco, that queen of a town that overlooks the Golden Gate. Perhaps she still dreams in her mind's eye of what she once was in the day before, the earthquake of 1906. And so you're like, oh, I guess there's an earthquake coming in this film. (laughs) Your understanding of this film is built around, like, when are we getting to the earthquake? And the answer is very late in the film. Oh, extremely. (laughs) I honestly, like, I assumed from that title card that it was going to be, like, within the first 10 minutes. And it was the last 10 minutes. You would think that, like, all of the plot that they build up in the first act is, like, stuff that really comes to a head after the earthquake. 
But almost everything except for our main romance plotline, which, God, I could not give less of a shit about it, <laughs> resolves itself before the fucking earthquake. Yeah, it's like everything's fine, and then the earthquake happens. Yeah. It's really weird. This movie is really weird. And and I know, like, we say that almost every week, but uh, the plot points and the character points in this movie felt like they came out of nowhere constantly. To me, anyway. I completely agree. I... This is also one of those movies where once you get past, like, the fifth build person, I start going, who is this again? Now, why is this person acting like that? Oh, it's a completely different person. Yeah, yeah, I had the same experience. I was like, wait, but but didn't she already, like, break up with this guy? Oh, no, this is just a different white guy with a mustache who's not Clark Gable. <laughs> yeah. So... Hmm. I'm like looking at the Wikipedia plot description in despair because I'm like, it is as long as this podcast would be. Yeah, it's I mean, the the through line of the film is the romance question mark between Clark Gable's character, Blackie Norton, who's a saloon gambling den owner in San Francisco. There's like a nightclub act aspect to his gambling den and he hires mary blake who's played by jeanette mcdonald who is a wide-eyed innocent and such a wide-eyed innocent he thinks it's a con and also you kind of think it's a con as an audience member but also <laughs> spoiler alert it is not a con no and they set it up for so long that you're like waiting for the reveal and and nope no she's just a woman of god there to guide him back from his atheism that is an even weirder journey than seventh heaven does to those between those two points but as you point out he starts believing in god after something good happens to him rather than being blinded in the most pointless war <laughs> In all of history. Well, I do have to say, if your argument is everybody who believes in God is a sucker, and then you see the entire city of San Francisco destroyed, and then see a bunch of people, like, living in ramshackle tents that they've, like, set up with the pieces of their destroyed homes, singing a pay on to God, why you would think, now these people aren't suckers, <laughs> is a little bit of a mystery to me. <laughs> okay. But, like... He does at least, like, see the woman he's in love with, and, like, then as soon as he's like, I really truly believe in God now, I forget what modestly good thing happens, like, one of the, the fires go out or something. God at least does something for him after he believes in God, so that's nice. Yeah, I honestly don't even remember what it was, because I, I have to tell you, like, by the time that we got to the earthquake, which was 105 minutes into the film... I felt like my head was screwed on backward because either this script is so, so bad at having any sort of support or consistency to the characters and the plot or... 50% of this movie was put on the cutting room floor and a lot of the things that lead to certain results just didn't end up in the film. Yeah, I I mean, I, I got distracted there, as this movie often does. <laughs> That's a huge problem, is huge periods of time are spent on these things that you realize are just long, pointless digressions that never lead to anything. That, like, 
arguably they have some plot function, but also arguably you could cut the entire thing about her being an opera singer and him running for office and just have it be a love triangle where Spencer Tracy doesn't like Clark Gable and you're fucking right where you were with an hour off this movie. To like flesh out the plot a little bit, Clark Gable plays Blackie and I like cannot get that word out of my mouth without stumbling over it so he's just gonna be clark gable and his like childhood best friend is a priest played by spencer tracy who as far as i can tell hates his best friend (laughs) and jeanette mcdonald plays mary blake and is i want to say like more charming in this movie in certain ways than we've ever seen her be before and like sexier because i feel like jeanette mcdonald is always our like cute ingenue and she definitely is playing a cute ingenue in this but i mean this movie is like the battle of the bedroom eyes between clark gable and jeanette mcdonald and there's one scene where like it just cuts back and forth between like close-up of her face close-up of his face close-up of her face is this a staring contest for who has the hottest like take me take me now look (laughs) I mean, I think it's, like, it's this weird thing where, like, so much of the romance has to be conveyed by just, like, Clark Gable's face, Jeanette McDonald's face, Clark Gable's face, Jeanette McDonald's face. I mean, they want to fuck, right? Because the script is not helping out at all. No! (laughs) And so, like, the only way to convey the romance between these two people who do not belong together and are horrible together... And are just so shitty to each other and for each other at every moment they open their goddamn mouths is to just have them stare at each other to remind you that they're Clark Gable and Jeanette McDonald. Right. And they're both hot and therefore hot for each other, question mark? Yeah. Anyway, so like the first time that they meet, she comes in to ask for a job because she is coming from like, she says she's a preacher's daughter from where again? Colorado? Yeah, something Something like like that. that. And in probably the funniest part of the movie, which happens very early on, and which gave me hope that this was actually going to be, like, a really fun movie, and then it turned out to be, like, a a total mess, he hires her and says that he's going to pay her $75 a week, and she faints, and he says, like, oh, I guess she fainted. And then somebody else who works at the club was like, well, if you offered me $75 a week, I'll drop dead. And that was the first and last joke in the whole movie. But anyway, then later on, she's like in his office or dress. I wasn't quite clear, but like backstage at the at the club. And they're like doing this hot fuck me look staring contest. And then she tries to leave and he slams the door with her in front of it. And he is like holding it closed over her head and i was like oh i hate this i hate this whole fucking trope of like oh but she really wants it i'm like no let her go you abusive piece of shit and then she like leaves to go and perform at the opera which is her dream and gets involved with some dude who's like a rich san franciscan from like a good family or whatever he comes to see her at the opera 
and I guess we're supposed to forgive him for being an abusive fuck because he's like sitting in the box looking like he's gonna cry, but he's also really smiling at like how wonderful performer she is. And he goes to her dressing room and they haven't exchanged like 10 words before she says, you know, don't you love me? Will you marry me? And I'm like, where did... Where did this come from? There's a little more to their relationship before that, but it's also that just make the the more to the relationship just makes it weirder. Because there's also this whole weird sequence where he like effectively seduces her at the nightclub because the opera comes to offer to buy out her contract. And he's like, no, she's so devoted to me, she'll stay even if I let her out of the contract for zero dollars. Doesn't tell her that he was going to do that, but she does, out of, like, respect for the contract she's already signed, go like, no, I gotta stick around through the contract. And he's like, see, you love me. And somehow that initially works. And he's all like, oh, I'm crazy about you, kid. Don't you know that? And it's like, they haven't had any scenes to develop that. I mean, I can understand you're attracted to her, but the way that it's phrased is like, he's head over heels for her. We haven't seen them have any interactions that would indicate that. He just states it. Like, it's this movie is all tell and very little show. To the movie's, I guess, credit, it does continue with this thing where it seems like he kind of just wants to sleep with her up through almost the earthquake. That, like, certainly when he agrees to marry her, he's like, yeah, yeah, fine, fine, marriage, sounds great. (laughs) And so, like, at least until she leaves him again after that, because he hits a priest. Though, honestly, that's one of the least shitty things he does in this movie. (laughs) After he hits a priest, she decides to leave him for arguably the fourth time? Um, and I honestly (laughs) lost count and I lost count of how many like nondescript white guys with mustaches who weren't Clark Gable that she was engaged to and then broke off relationships with. I think it was only two, but it might have been three. Yeah. Also, Spencer Tracy's priest is super into her, right? Like, yeah. And, like, his whole thing is that he he funnels that sexual energy toward, like, you can't be with Blackie because I want to be with you, but I can't be with you because I'm a priest, and so therefore you should be with God. Right, but, like, the movie also genuinely seems to think her being with God is, like, the righteous and moral thing to do, but there's this weird sexual energy to his fixation on her that makes it seem like there's definitely an ulterior motive here it totally feels like he is somehow thinking that his sexual desire for her will be satisfied by her dumping blackie and like going to church yeah and i'm like no spencer tracy we know what's going on don't don't even try that but basically like spencer tracy who again supposedly his like childhood best friend spends every moment of this movie almost telling mary what a horrible terrible dark-souled wicked evil sinful going to hell person his best friend is it's arguably to bring clark gable's character to the light of god or whatever but it is this weird thing where he's just like He's my best friend from childhood. I've known him for so long. He's a complete piece of shit. The only good thing he ever did in his life was buy an organ for me. 
other than that, he's devoted his life to just a black-hearted world of sin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, good luck back at his club. <laughs> Bye. Oh, by the way, you don't belong there. See you on Sunday. Yeah. It's a real weird energy, but like everything has this real weird energy. Like there's a the the guy she's engaged to be married with. I think there's just the one guy she gets engaged to. She just gets engaged to him like three separate times. Um it, Oh, it is it is the one guy cuz I was like isn't this the same guy? I think so. I think it's the one guy that proposes and then she's like, guess what? Blackie's going to marry me instead. Aren't you thrilled? And he's like, no. <laughs> Bye. And then she like she un gets engaged to Blackie and then the guy's still into her for some reason and also for some reason decides he should have his mom close the sale on this. <laughs> His mom, who, uh, by the way, is, like, straight out of a Dickens novel creepy old woman. She also, like, gives the worst pitch, because it's like, I had a guy like Blackie, someone who made me feel alive and made life seem not so fucking worthless like it did with the boring guy I married and had a worthless son with. But let me tell you, guys like Blackie, you can never marry him. Always marry somebody worthless like my son. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of the uh, the way that that goes. Like Jeanette McDonald asks her, "So, so you left your your blackie?" And she's like, "Well, yeah." That that's like the whole story. Not like, well, yes, because actually it turned out that he was an abusive asshole, or like. Uh, things went wrong it was just like well yes obviously no and even more than that like specifically says and i eventually loved my husband and you know why because he loved me and i'm like that's bad <laughs> that's <laughs> and even if that's even if that's true and that worked for you guys why is that your pitch why <laughs> like and there are so, so many ways of making that pitch that would not be wrong and would be so much more effective. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, this movie is, is, is so strange in the way that it handles stuff. So there's two, like, weird, well, I guess the whole thing with Mary being an opera singer is not a side plot exactly, but her going back and forth between, like, She's at the Tivoli. She's back at the Paradise Club. She's at the Tivoli is like exhausting. And also it was like never clear to me the second time that she went back to the opera that she was done with the Paradise. Yeah, there's so much stuff that's just weirdly shorthanded or tied off because they're like, we got to get to the earthquake where you're like, well, then why did you spend so much time on this before? Then just don't have her go back and forth four times just cut one of those for christ's sake and like get to the earthquake before the end of the movie yeah i, I will say shanette mcdonald does a, a pretty great job in this movie when she is singing opera and is like kind of awkward when she's doing the like paradise club stuff i agree completely i was just mystified by the fact that like everybody in the city loves her kind of barely up-tempo version of san francisco 
Because, like, when she's on stage at the opera, you're like, oh, I get it. She is classically trained. She's really got a range. There's a performative aspect to her. Like, she's got it all. It works. Her margarita was great in Faust. I was like, I would like to actually watch her in that whole opera. <laughs> yeah. And then when she's on stage at the Paradise, she just kind of, like, shifts her weight back and forth and goes like, San Francisco, here, but... And you're like, this is nothing. Why is everyone transfixed by this? And her final performance of it at the chicken's ball, which apparently the chicken, the chicken's ball was actually a thing, yeah. by the way. Yes. Which I guess it would have to be because if you were going to make this up for a movie, you would not call it the chicken's ball. <laughs> But uh, apparently, like, all of the clubs go in and they have a performer and whichever one wins gets $10,000, which, like, my God, was a lot of money in 19-0-whatever. And Blackie, like, storms out of the chicken's ball because she doesn't love him or whatever their issue is this moment of the movie and they're like oh well nobody is here from the paradise and she says you know oh i'm here i'm here to represent the paradise and she gets up and does this version of san francisco which has never been good in the whole movie but this is arguably the absolute worst rendition of it that she does like she's at least a quarter step flat and oh it was it was really not it was really not good but everybody fucking loses it and is like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was very confused. I at least went along with it because, like I say, that's the one musical number that's invested with any kind of character emotion whatsoever in the entire film. That's true. It does have, like, a bearing on the plot and her as a character and, and Blackie and the whole, like, the whole shtick. And it is her, like really selling her actual love for Blackie through the song and representing the paradise. So, like, fine. But yes, it is a bad performance that everybody loses it's it for. not good. <laughs> the side plot that has, like, no influence or bearing on the main plot whatsoever is Blackie is running for, like, what is even- Board of Supervisors. Okay. This is like, since the Parks and Recreation season where running for city council was like running for president, I have not- like. Yeah, it was It was a lot. Like, what even is that there, position? I mean, it seems like he is just in charge of like zoning for the city of San Francisco is what's at stake. It's so weird because simultaneously they keep talking up what a great guy Blackie is because he's trying to, like, shit on this other guy who's not doing sufficient fire safety in his buildings that is going to be a big thing when the earthquake happens. Right. But at the same time, Blackie is very open about, like, also, I am doing this so that I have a vested interest in the city for all of my nightclubs and I can continue to break the law. <laughs> Which, I, fine, I guess, but that, that's definitely like an unusual way to run a campaign. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting if it if that resolved in any way. But in the end, it turns out the only reason that his Board of Supervisors run matters at all is that he is up against 
the guy that is going to marry Jeanette McDonald's character, which one means they already have a reason for conflict without this whole fucking thing. But two means that guy uses all of his connections to get Clark Gable's club shut down and to throw Clark Gable in jail for all the genuinely illegal stuff he's been doing for the whole movie. (laughs) The movie doesn't think that that's a big deal, which... Which I guess is fine, but it makes Spencer Tracy think it's a big deal. I I think we're supposed to be on Spencer Tracy's side. I guess, but the ending of this movie sure as hell doesn't think it's a big deal that he's been doing crimes the whole time. Because he, like, falls to his knees and prays to God, and then it's like, I guess it's fine? Like, I guess... I guess we're done? Well, and also, like, they shut the club down, and the only way that he's going to be able to pay the fees to reopen it is if he wins the chicken's ball. (laughs) Which has nothing to do with chickens, just to to be clear, in case that wasn't clear. (laughs) And then he just, like, walks out of it, and it's no big deal, but then the earthquake happens, so it's like, well, there's no club to reopen anyway. That's kind of the problem with the earthquake in general, is that besides... Jeanette McDonald and their romance, again, question mark. Every plot line that gets resolved after the earthquake gets resolved as, well, I guess that building's gone. Oh, I guess he's dead. I guess that's just <laughs> over now. I guess just no one cares and it's all done. No stakes matter at all? Yeah, like, does he have to pay the fine? Or is it just like, well, there's no club to reopen, so who cares? Right? And that's the thing is, he was going to go to jail. So it's like, do do they just go like, well, now that your club burned down, I guess it wasn't illegal to run an illegal gambling den? (laughs) Since you literally can't, since there's no building anymore, like, I guess it's fine. But, like, that seems like a weird legal precedent to set. But, like, whatever. (laughs) I will say, after the earthquake, this sense of, like, everything is different now, it's all fallen apart, everything I thought mattered before doesn't matter, is very well done. Yeah. But it also does make you think, like, well, then why did I have to spend so much time sitting through all that shit? (laughs) Like... If it turned out nothing mattered but their love, then why did you spend a full fucking hour on other stuff? Just kind of, not like hand wave it, but like, you you could really give me the broad outline of the fact that he cares about this stuff, instead of making the audience spend so much time on his campaign that doesn't matter at all. It's never resolved. No, I mean, I guess he wins because his opponent is dead, but like... like that's dark but also like yeah do they even bother with the election at that point i mean also i guess he's got a pretty good argument in i told y'all fire safety was important and then the city burned down (laughs) but we don't even get that no it's the earthquake and then like wandering through the wreckage of the earthquake for i don't know like a day or two in universe time is unclear, but it's like the last it's the last 20 minutes of the movie. Is it even that long? It's almost exactly that long cuz I checked. Okay. It felt shorter than that. Well, I mean I believe you. To be fair, the first 5 minutes of it is spent with the only thing that can really be described as a disaster movie in the whole film, which is just they've discovered shaking the camera, everyone. Good work. They show 
every building possible breaking and like it is the longest earthquake i've ever seen like an earthquake is not five minutes long no it's it's weird because they then do the historically accurate aftershock of the whole thing but like they don't quite know how to pace a disaster movie and so there is this weird thing where they do feel like well, the earthquake was only like three minutes long, so we can't be a disaster movie for longer than that. There's very little time in the movie spent in like disaster movie-y plot lines about like, oh, all the fallout of the earthquake. There's sort of one scene immediately after the initial earthquake that then gets resolved by like, oh, I guess they're all dead because there was an aftershock. And then after that, it's just sort of wandering through the town and looking at all the destruction. And then the last five minutes are Clark Gable finding God because Jeanette McDonald's still alive. So only 10 minutes of it is really spent on, like, what happened after the earthquake wandering the city. But, like, the earthquake happens almost exactly 20 minutes before the end of the film. Well, yeah, you're right. It does feel like the disaster movie part of it is so much shorter because they spend five minutes on the special effects of, like every building crumbling that they can show and i get it's hard to pace the actual event of an earthquake in film because an earthquake happens so quickly you know it's not five minutes long it's like a matter of seconds but the destruction can be tremendous and if you're going to show like more than one spot it like has to be longer than a few seconds but yeah the pacing of it was really weird i i actually said out loud i was like There's no earthquake that goes on for this long. Not even just that. The thing that makes it so weird is that such a relatively small amount of time is spent really dealing directly with the fallout of the earthquake. The best post-earthquake scene is when Clark Gable is just with the weird old patrician woman who's the mom of who Jeanette McDonald was going to marry, but then he's dead now just kind of standing there and being fine as the military blows up her house to try and create a firewall. Because there's like this actual sense of exploring what has changed in the wake of the earthquake. But mostly it's just wandering around and looking at all of the piles of bricks they've made and then going like, did you see anybody dead? Yeah, a lot of people are dead. And digging people out. What What's really fascinating to me is that he seems to be digging through the entirety of the city to try to find her. And it's like, you know where she was, dude. If she's not there, then she's probably like somewhere else and is okay. Or, like, you couldn't dig her out. It's a strange thing because she left the club with her fiancé is the last we see of her before we find out she's all right at the very, very end of the movie. And then we just find her fiancé's, like, dead body under a bunch of bricks. And it's not like Clark Gable goes like, well, I guess I better dig out this whole pile of rubble to make sure she's not under there. He just goes like, well, now I'm going to wander the rest of the city to see if a different building fell on her. Right. (laughs) Which is very strange. I don't know. This movie is just weirdly exhausting because there's so much to it that doesn't matter at all. And like, it doesn't modulate its tone at all. 
everything is kind of the most important thing. Everything's like a battle for his immortal soul. Or you're going to ruin her life forever if she goes out on stage. That, like, when you get to the thing that, like, actually matters, which is the earthquake, you're like, well, there's nowhere else to go. And it feels like a weird letdown. And you're just tired. That's a really good assessment. And I think it's why the earthquake doesn't really have the punch that it should have. Is because, like, well, in the face of him, like, burning in hell forever, like, uh, I mean, what's a, what's an earthquake where he doesn't die? I don't know. And loses a club where apparently, like, now because the club is gone, he doesn't have to go to jail. <laughs> it's just kind of a mess. There's flashes of stuff that's modestly interesting, but there's also just so much, like, I haven't even gotten into how much I hate Blackie as a character. That he's just fucking worthless. Like, I thought I was going to come in here and we were going to have kind of another one of our vaguely argumentative episodes of like, no, I get that Clark Gable is handsome, but that doesn't work on me. So I just think this guy's a real piece of shit. Oh, I think I think he's absolutely a real piece of shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I seriously look at this as Clark Gable's character in this movie is a one man game of fuck, Mary kill. Uh, just like in that order with him <laughs> would be totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it- But for you, you like, the, the F and the M are of no <laughs> significance for you, so it's just the K. Totally understand. Yeah. But I also like don't want to deal with Mary either. Like Jeanette McDonald's character is annoying because she's indecisive and she vacillates between these two men in a way that is like- incredibly unfair to the nondescript white dude with the mustache who's not Clark Gable. Yes. But she's not actively abusive, manipulative, and criminal. No. So, you know, like, by comparison, I guess Mary is a better person than Blackie, but she's not a good person. No. And, like, the weird thing about her is that the movie seems to put her in this weird box where, like, Blackie is manipulative and abusive, but, like, the movie seems to actually have her only care about whether or not he believes in God. Right. The manipulative, abusive stuff is supposed to be kind of charming to her. And I guess to us. Yeah. That, like, it, it's bleh. But also what I was kind of trying to get at is, like, we kind of even didn't even need to get into that because there's so much other just stuff in this movie that's just a mess. Her musical numbers are really only successful when she's at the opera is bad. That a full hour could be cut from this movie without really affecting the plot in any way is bad. <laughs> There's just so much wrong with it that the fact that I hate our central characters almost doesn't even come into it. It kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, right. Also, there's blackface in this movie. Right, right. That's That's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I want to be clear that it's, like, not blackface in the way that we have dealt with it in the past. At the Chicken's Ball, the way that they judge who wins is based on how much audiences clap and they, like, line all the performers up. 
And of course, one of them is a minstrel performer, but we don't ever see his performance. We do a little bit at the very, very end of the chicken's ball right before the earthquake that like- Oh, do we? After Mary wins the chicken's ball, Clark Gable comes up and is like, I don't want your dirty money. You're, I hate you. I, I'm a man of principle and my principle is I just yell about things and really ruins the mood. Yeah, what is his- pr- He's a man of principle, my ass. I'm sorry. Like, how is this movie even gonna... Blackie doesn't even have his own, like, code that maybe is, like, not in line with traditional morality. Like, there's no... There's no Blackie Norton code. Oh! Yeah, they keep talking about how he's always had a code, but it's not that he has any kind of a consistent code. It's just, like, whenever he's about to do something so shitty we wouldn't forgive him, he doesn't do that. (laughs) It's not like he always loves kids or like he'd never hurt a woman. It's just like, well, when he's going to be super shitty, he backs down and is just mostly shitty. And that's not a code. That's just like the movie not wanting to completely alienate you from Clark Gable. I will say I was surprised and delighted that the performers who got the second largest applause were the black duo. Like, actually legitimately black, not in blackface. And I was like, huh, that is a surprise. And that the minstrel guy, like, got a few very scattered, like, half-hearted claps. Which I'm not gonna, like, go ahead and say that this was the movie, like, indicting minstrelsy across the board. Yeah. But it was nice, at least, that it wasn't raised up to the same level, I guess. The thing I was going to say is after he kills the mood, to bring the mood back up, they do bring the blackface guy back out to, like, hype up the crowd. And then the earthquake happens. Oh, yeah. See, I totally missed that somehow. It's not very long. It's like, it's like five seconds. This movie is a damn mess. Yeah. Should we get to rating this? Yeah. Uh, 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 like a three? Yeah, I have just, I, my instinctive response is three. And the weird thing is, I don't know if I can really justify giving it that high of a score if I'm trying to, like, come out and say it. But, like, yeah, three? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where, oh, and I I would like to shout out our, one of our fans, Paul, who has made a fan wiki for us, (laughs) on which he is going through and listing every movie and, like, what score we gave it. Uh, which is great, except that he's only up to in old Arizona. <laughs> uh, because, like, then I could go back and go, oh, okay, well, we gave this movie yeah. a three, and, like, it was definitely better than this. Or Also, just just in those four episodes, also, Paul, I'm very sorry, because all of the score things are like, David gave it a two, then he gave it a four, then he retroactively <laughs> said it was a 1.5, and so I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah, but he is doing that for us, which is actually really cool. Yes. So thank you, Paul. Also, if you want to check it out or contribute to it, it is screen-test-of-time.fandom.com. And uh, yeah, you can you can help him out with that. So he doesn't have to re-listen to every episode of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm like, what movies have we ever given a three? And I feel like 
two is generally reserved for like this was an incompetently made film that was offensive but not like uh like i gave in old arizona a one i think i think the three for me comes from when i'm really thinking about it and i don't think we've had a movie quite like this before that you can feel it reaching to do a lot of impressive things it just fails at all of them (laughs) And, but but like there's still something about the reach of it, even if the like reach is far outseating the grasp. There's something about the scale of a story this movie wants to tell, even if it doesn't tell it. Yeah, I mean, you you can see in this movie, it's like sometimes a bad movie is a better learning experience for what's going to come after than a good movie is. And this is definitely the first how do we tell a disaster story on a human scale attempt you know what i mean yeah but they absolutely did not know how to do it and i think if you were watching this and you're like oh that's a really brilliant idea here's all the things they did wrong and here's how we could fix it to make that work because it absolutely fails at it because obviously like the whole thing of a disaster movie is that you have these characters that you are attached to and you experience it through their personal lives and and how it affects them personally and the things that are going on that are interrupted or thrown into uh, like your perspective and what is critical or what you view as a priority changes in light of the disaster. Whereas this gets there in a really poorly paced way you got to do the disaster and then the the fallout. Yeah. As the fallout is most of the movie, not the lead up to the disaster. Yeah. I also think in addition to being a very, very proto disaster movie, there is a degree to which this is a proto gone with the wind in terms of the 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 Clark Gable of it all, I guess. <laughs> oh, the Clark Gable of it all. Where, again, we're going to come down pretty hard, I think, on that movie for a lot of reasons when we get to it. But I do think what it is remembered for and loved for, you can see the first twinklings of that central relationship in this film's central relationship, even though this film's central relationship is not nearly as successful on basically any level. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even seen Gone with the Wind, but I like... I know enough about it to know that Clark Gable plays a super hot but also abusive piece of shit dude. And I had that thought of like, while I was watching it, that the way that Clark Gable is represented in this movie is a lot of how I expected going into this project. I would find fault with movies because the idea of what is romantic and like acceptably and correctly masculine has changed to be less terrible (laughs) because it really does want you to think that the way that he interacts with her is sexy and for me it's just like oh my god kick him in the balls run away and never speak to him again Gone with the Wind is, I don't know, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I may really regret saying it's slightly more successful on his end of things, but what it really is is way more successful in giving him a, like, female lead with enough agency to kind of flesh out that relationship, instead of her just being this weird, like, hot and cold, what do you see in him, but also now why are you leaving thing of, like, 
not in terms of why are you leaving, you have no reason, but in terms of why are you leaving? What is this character's specific motivation for leaving right now? Because I don't understand it. Yeah, because it really does feel like most of, like the most shitty stuff that he does is at the beginning and it gets like progressively less shitty. It just becomes like him being emotionally manipulative rather than like physically intimidating and abusive, which is where it starts. It really just feels like she, again, is an indecisive person who can't figure out if she wants to be part of this old San Franciscan family for, you know, what the, uh, I guess, status of that would bring. Which is interesting to me because at this point, like, San Francisco hasn't even existed that long. (laughs) Yeah, like... It's not like being an old New York family. Like, they're not Roosevelt's. That's kind of the best point that the, like, mom brings up is, like, I came here in 1850. We're a first-generation rich people family, and it's genuinely just because I married well. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But also that just kind of makes Mary seem even weirder. Right, because, like, what is she- what is the status that she thinks that she is going to get from this guy that she doesn't seem to give a shit about at all? Like, at all. Yeah. Do we ever see them, like, have any moments of, like, where she is tender or sweet to him? Not- not Blackie, the- the other guy. God, no. It's this thing where I didn't even know they were an item until he proposed the first time he proposes. And then the rest of their relationship is her telling him she's accepted a proposal from another man, him getting his mom to get her to accept his proposal, her finding out that he shut down Blackie's nightclub, him yelling at her not to go on stage and her doing it anyway. Him dragging her out of the nightclub when the earthquake happens and then dying. That's, that's it. They don't actually have any sort of courtship at all. And, and it's confusing to me why he, I mean, other than like, I guess she's hot. But, you know, there's all this stuff about, like, oh, you can't get on stage. And it's like, you asked an opera singer to marry you, bud. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess he specifically means on stage for the Paradise. Right. At the Chicken's Ball. But, like, yeah, it is super weird because everything in the relationship reads as, like, she is a real up-and-comer in the, like, high-status scene of San Francisco. She is the opera company's new star. Like, she she is going to be, like, the newest, most eligible bachelorette in the, like, high-class social circle now. But she keeps playing it off as, like, oh, no, I don't belong here at all. Like, no one will ever love me but this one dude. This one dude who is terrible. Did you also have the thing where it was not until, like, the nightclub got shut down that you realized that the, like piece of shit slumlord who isn't keeping up the fire codes and who Blackie is running against is the same dude that Mary was engaged to? Because I- I don't know that I knew that until right now. (laughs) I didn't realize it until the other nightclub girl comes over and, like, chews him out at the chicken's ball. Was when I was like, I guess they are the same guy. I guess they're the same dude. It's really weird that he hasn't seemed in person like a bad guy at all. He's just seemed like nothing this entire time. 
but apparently he's the same nondescript white dude that's the evil real estate villain of the film. Yeah, I actually did not even make that connection until you told me. But that is that is how just nothing this guy is. Like, he made absolutely zero impression on me, except for the moment where he's like, you can't go on stage. Yeah, he's just nothing. So yeah, a, a three. Wait, I'm gonna give this a three. Yeah. Also, don't don't watch this movie. It has minor like film history significance, I guess. There's there's some interesting stuff if you're like a student of film, but like God, it's not it's not enjoyable. <laughs> no, I I would totally skip this movie. I'm not. Uh, I, I can in no way recommend it. Not even if you're a student of film history. Like what what. How is it historically important? I, I I mean, the, like, montage of the earthquake sequence, I guess, is like, oh, I can see how you get from here to the towering inferno, you know? Yeah, okay. But, like, that's it. There's that, and there's, like, oh, Clark Gable is coming into his Clark Gableness. Neither of those is, the, is a reason to watch this almost two-hour film. No, not at all. Which brings us to next week, when we will watch... Frederick March and Olivia de Havilland in Anthony Ad- Adverse, and I'm I'm actually really very nervous about this movie because the 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 plot description is like oh god this is going to be super racist oh boy yeah it it it's going to be real bad so wish us luck i guess oh no susan did you just did you see reception yes um oh no this is the lowest rated best picture oscar nominated film yep in all of history yep Uh, um so yeah it has a 13 percent rating on rotten tomatoes uh but, you know, it does only have eight reviews. And Leonard Maltin apparently liked it. So maybe this is good. Maybe critics are just wrong. That happens. Yeah, it does happen. It, like, we've definitely watched movies that were, like, absolute dog shit that have, like, a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know. <sighs> right. Something we watched had a 100% rating and we could not believe it because it was... God, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't the film that will not be named because I've literally <laughs> forgotten its name. No, I don't think it was the film that that shall not be named. But yeah, it was something. It was something almost that bad, like House of Rothschild or something. Anyway, next week we will watch a movie that critics hated, and we'll either go, "You don't need to listen to critics," or, "My God, always listen to critics." What was the Academy thinking? <laughs> uh, no, don't always listen to critics because sometimes they're totally wrong. But they might have been right in this situation. And uh, and t- until then, if you want to, you know, like and subscribe and leave us a positive review, perhaps more positive than our review of San Francisco. <laughs> yes, please do not give us a three out of ten in iTunes. <laughs> Can you even do that? That's just like a one and a half because it's on a five. Please don't go to the effort of hacking iTunes so that you can give us a three out of ten in iTunes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, if you if you do that and uh, and more people listen to the podcast because we become featured for some reason, then you know we will be really happy and probably do something nice. But I don't know what that will be. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I would love to have the challenge presented to me of what nice thing can we do for our fans if we get featured on iTunes. Anyway, until then... This was a lot of movie, really. It was a lot. I'm not sure it was a movie. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I feel bad because now, because I've read the wiki, I now feel we do need to definitively state whether things are a movie or not. This what this was a movie. Was it a film though? Maybe that's the new avenue. No, I mean to, it definitely was a that... film. It's on film. Okay, wait. It's definitely not a video. <laughs> We're just gonna do a full second hour of recording on whether we think a movie or a film is a more definitive thing to call this. Either way, this this was I'm gonna say this was a lot. I'm not sure it was a movie. <laughs> I'm gonna give it the decency of being a movie. That that that's fair. <laughs> I I didn't like it. I didn't like it, but it was a movie. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>